It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to geneseehealthplan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the uh, author of the New York Times bestseller, How Not to Diet. Um, I think he was on the show when the book first came out, and uh, it's great to see that it's uh, done that well. It's uh, kind of a follow-up to his book, How Not to Die, one of my favorite books. Dr. Michael Greger joins me by phone. Doctor, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So glad to be back. Is there anything different about what you advocate with regard to dieting, not dieting, proper diet because of the pandemic? Well, I think it just makes it even more important to take care of ourselves. I mean, consider the underlying risk factors for COVID-19 severity and death. Obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, all of which can be controlled or even reversed with a healthy enough plant-based diet and lifestyle. And it's not just obesity, even just being overweight puts you at risk. I mean, those with a body mass index of 28 or more, which being about uh, 175 pounds at the average American height, appears to put you at nearly six times the odds of suffering a severe COVID-19 course. And in the United States, the average BMI exceeds 29. So even being skinnier than the average American could put you at so much excess body fat, it could put you at risk. So this is the time to get sufficient sleep, keep active, reduce stress, stay connected, uh, be remotely with friends and family, and eating a healthy diet to protect not only against chronic disease down the road, which is what uh, my other books are about, but protect us right now from the current infectious disease threat. Yeah, you you caught me there on the pounds because... I have to admit, I've put on a few COVID pounds, and I suspect that a lot of mm. people have too because of something I call boredom eating. <laughs> right. But at the same time, we're, uh, you know, people, most people are not going out to eat like they used to. I mean, this is the time where we really have a lot of control over our, our environment. So before you go, uh, you know, uh, so many people have jobs where, you know, they're, 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 there's, there's donuts, there's candy on people's desks, there's a birthday party every other day. Um, you know, we're going to and from work right past the donut shop, whatever. Uh, and 
but whereas now many people are stuck at home um, and uh, you know are can really have control over their environment. They can get rid of the junk out of their house, and so then look, you get healthy enough, you're going to eat that apple. Right, I mean the apple is the best thing you got in the house. You you, you know, um, and so uh, in a certain sense, um, that extra control should actually help us uh, towards some of our health goals. Um, and so this is the time to start establishing healthier habits for the future. But but we have to make a conscious effort because uh, as I've experienced, especially in the first uh, I don't know first thirty days of of being uh, sheltered in place was you know the just I, I was i was bored a lot of the time and i would just get up and make pancakes in the middle of an afternoon <laughs> yeah no no that's it's totally understandable that's a way a lot of people um help uh help deal with stress but uh but you know it's important to realize that you know having those few extra pounds is going to put one at high risk for you know suffering a severe course with his disease now it doesn't matter if you don't never contact the disease if you never get this disease and you don't have to worry about um, your risk of a severe course or hospitalization um, but uh, you know it's 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 not it's difficult for people to maintain this kind of physical distancing necessary to prevent becoming infected if somebody practices the right diet they really don't have to diet at all do they Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, that was the whole point of my How Not to Diet book. I mean, you know, um, is that, you know, diets kind of don't work by definition because, uh, you know, going on a diet implies at some point you're going to go off the diet, and permanent weight loss requires permanent dietary change. And healthier habits just have to become a way of life. And if it's going to be lifelong, you want it to lead to a long life. But thankfully, you know, the single best diet proven for weight loss, I mean, it just so happened to be the safest, cheapest way to eat for the longest, healthiest life. So it really does go together. We don't have to mortgage our health to lose weight. A healthy diet long-term um, is really what's best for both health, longevity, and um, a slimmer waistline. And what does that look like? I, you know, I, we've talked about this before, Doctor. I'm I'm from the Midwest, and a meal doesn't seem like it's a meal unless it has meat and potatoes, and sometimes fairly large right. portions. Um, but, but what does a day look like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Well, I mean, ideally, we should eat real food that grows out of the ground, natural foods from fields, not factories. The diet's centered around whole plant foods. And so that's fruits and vegetables and legumes, which are beans, peas, chickpeas, lentils, whole grains, nuts and seeds, herbs and spices, mushrooms, basically real food that grows out of the ground. These are our healthiest choices. And it doesn't matter what we eat on birthdays and holidays, special occasions, it's the day-to-day -day stuff that adds up. But on a day-to-day -day basis, we really should try to eat healthy. And this is not just um, uh, in terms of losing weight, but in terms of uh, preventing, arresting, or even reversing some of our leading killers, such as heart disease, which would help both in the future and right now in terms of reducing our risk of the infectious disease threat. Um, what do you think of the, uh, the the various meat substitutes that are being introduced to people? I, I've been curious about that because I talk to experts like you who, you know, say that you, you got to get on a plant-based diet, but I've just got this love affair with red meat. And it, it um, are, are those things good alternatives 
Well, see, these what they do is they offer kind of the best of both worlds. Basically, allow people to have their meat and eat it too. And this is not just for kind of niche markets anymore. Major meat producers, Tyson, Purdue. Smithfield, Hormel, Cargill have started innovating us out of this precarious situation by making these plant-based meat alternatives. Um, now, they are processed, but they're certainly better than the animal-based uh, meats they're replacing. And from a pandemic risk standpoint, I mean, we don't have to worry about swine flu, bird flu, if we're not raising, you know, billions of curly-tailed and feathered test tubes for viruses to incubate and, and mutate within billions more spins at pandemic roulette. So that's really, it's really about reducing the numbers. It would help from a climate standpoint, um, certainly help from a food safety uh, standpoint, um, as well as a pandemic risk standpoint. Um, and so, yeah, no, I think that's, a, that's a, uh, it, it's exciting to see what's happening in the meat aisle, the meat case, um, very similar to what we're seeing in the dairy case. Um, you know, there now there's with this constellation of new consumer choices, now there's like 20 different kind of milks people can buy, and we're seeing that same kind of innovation happening in the meat case. And look, if you can't tell the difference between a chicken nugget made from chickens and a chicken nugget made from pea protein, whatever, and it's healthier, less cholesterol, less saturated fat, and doesn't, you know, you're basically producing meat without lungs, and so you don't have to worry about brewing up new respiratory viruses. And look, you're making meat without intestines, so you don't have to worry about intestinal bugs like E. coli, salmonella. And so um, this is, uh, I think, you know, accelerating the movement towards these plant-based milks, plant-based meats, plant-based egg products um, is going to help from kind of a variety of different dimensions. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to try to give the impression that you're endorsing any products, but, but I did want to get what your general reaction was to this uh, uh, to these new products that are being developed. So yeah, thank, yeah. So I mean, thank the you fact for that. that. You can walk into to, to you know any Burger King and now get uh, you know the Impossible Whopper, buy basically a plant-based burger, um, which many people can't even tell the difference of. I mean that's uh, the fact that there is you know kind of cheap, convenient options available now. Um, I think that's uh, that that really points to the to you know the this this mainstreaming of. Uh, this idea that plant-based alternatives are superior in terms of health, but what they don't realize is not just it's superior to health in a chronic disease standpoint, like heart disease and diabetes, high blood pressure, but superior in terms of the risk of triggering future pandemic disease. We really have to, you know, uh, let COVID-19 be the kind of fire drill we needed to wake us out of our complacency and reform the food system before it's too late. And, and a lot of people forget that uh, this this um, pandemic seems to have uh, incubated in a um, farmer's market. Oh, right. These, these so-called wet markets. In fact, that's what, you know, over the last few decades, hundreds of human pathogens have emerged at a rate unprecedented in human history. So basically, going to emerge from where we're mostly from animals, right? The AIDS virus is blamed on the butchering of primates in the bushmeat trade in Africa. Mad cow disease was because we turned, you know, cows into carnivores and cannibals. SARS and COVID-19 been traced back to the exotic wild animal trade in these live animal markets. But, you know, we realized that our last pandemic, swine flu in 2009, arose not from some backwater wet market in Asia, but was largely made in the USA on pig operations in the United States. Now, thankfully, you know, swine flu only killed about a half million people, but the next time, we might not be so lucky.
let me um, let me ask this: Should we be meeting, or should we be eating three meals a day? The the standard breakfast, lunch, dinner. Uh, well, I mean, it's uh, it's certainly unusual for us, kind of in a in a in a historical standpoint, to have this kind of food availability. Um, we were, uh, um, you know, uh, we uh, our physiology is such that we can last days, even weeks, um, without food, um, which is really quite extraordinary. There are actually very few animals that are able to do that, but we evolved in the context of scarcity. Um, there may actually be benefits to what's called time-restricted feeding, meaning uh, reducing our daily eating window to 12 hours or less. So at least half the time we're actually fasting, whereas most Americans are actually eating, you know, 15 hours um, during the day. And it, it turns out that when you do experiments and you try to restrict that eating window, even if you're eating the same amount of food, same number of calories, the same kind of food, there are actually metabolic benefits to restricting that eating window and giving your body a break for at least 12 hours a day. But as far as the, the quantities, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get some sense for what a good routine might be and and within that routine, what items might be best for us to put together a meal that's that's good for us and that we'll actually eat. Yeah, so uh, I have, uh, as, as part of my first book, How Not to Die, I center my recommendations in the second half of the book around a daily dozen checklist of all the healthiest of healthy foods. I encourage people to try to fit into their daily routine. So, for example, berries, the healthiest fruits, uh, greens, the healthiest vegetables, a tablespoon of ground flaxseed, quarter teaspoon of turmeric, the best beverages, the best sweeteners, uh, how much exercise to get every day. Again, just try to inspire people. It's available as a, as a free app on iPhone and Android, Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen. I'm going to have a cookbook, the How Not to Die cookbook. I have a new cookbook coming out this December, the How Not to Diet cookbook. And it offers Excellent. these kind of simple um, easy, you know, convenient, delicious recipes. So you can really have the best of both worlds. It tastes good, easy to make, and it's healthy for you, which is the most important thing. And I and I hope you'll come back and uh, and talk with me when you get that uh, when you get that cookbook out. Um, I didn't mention when I introduced you that uh, you are. Um, uh, the founder of, I believe, the founder of nutritionfacts.org. Indeed, is that is is that a good resource for people to follow up on what we're talking about? It's a free nonprofit science-based public service providing uh, daily updates on the latest nutrition research via bite-sized videos. Uh, we now have videos on more than 2,000 health topics with new videos and articles wow. uploaded every day. And you know this evidence-based nutrition at nutritionfacts.org. So I do encourage. Um, people to check it out. In fact, um, my the 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 pandemic book out today, How to Survive a Pandemic. All proceeds I get from it donated directly to charity. I just want everyone to have access to this life-saving information. Well, and I appreciate you sharing that information with me and spending this time with me, Doctor. Thanks so much. Uh, so glad I could help. Looking forward to being back on. All right. Take care. And that was New York Times bestselling author and internationally renowned nutrition expert, physician, and founder of NutritionFacts.org, Dr. Michael Greger. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. we got a packed show today, so we had to kind of jump right in. Uh, Dr. Uh, Greger's new book is uh, called How to Survive a Pandemic. Plus, we'll be talking with, uh, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we'll be talking with uh, Dr. Allie Cohen about uh well about her guide to living healthy in a chemical world called non-toxic and we're going to talk with uh, the authors of seven keys to navigating a crisis uh, coach khan and uh dr elia that's coming up in the second hour but uh coming up in just a moment we're uh, going to turn to radio host and uh author tom hartman who's been on the show and uh, he has a new book that looks at uh, monopolies. It's part of his The Hidden History of Monopolies series, or The Hidden History series. This one is The Hidden History of Monopolies. So we'll be talking about monopolies and uh, much more straight ahead. So stay tuned. I hope you uh, enjoy today's show. Um, I know I am. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour is a progressive nationally and internationally syndicated talk show host. He is also um, a New York Times bestselling author of 26 books. I don't know how he finds time to do the show. Uh, but uh, he, he joins me by phone. We have, uh, he has a, a new book out. He does the uh, Hidden History series. He's been on the show before. This time out, it's the Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, by New York Times bestselling author Tom Hartman, who joins me by phone, as I mentioned. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Great to be back here with you. Um, you know, I was looking through the book. The The, the book is great. Um, and I was looking at one uh, uh chart that that sort of is a snapshot of the uh, era of Reaganomics where it's a uh, productivity versus real hourly wage graph Mm -hmm. and you can see a a huge split between uh, 1962 and 1970 it starts you know really pulling apart Mm -hmm. um isn't that to some degree the nature of business is to grow and expand and absorb other businesses? Well, yes and no. Uh, if if you think about your body for a moment, you know, you've got all these different organs in your body, kidneys, liver, heart, all these other things, you know, blood cells, skin, and they all basically co- cooperate and collaborate with each other to maintain what's called homeostasis, which is, you know, a, a, a body that wakes up in the morning and continues through the next day. Um, Occasionally, an individual cell in the body will rise up and say, I am going to take over. I'm going to take all the resources of this body. I'm going to suck them all into me. And that cell becomes a mass of cells. It develops its own blood system. It it will create its own veins and arteries and things. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until finally it does suck up all the resources of the organism of the body. And the body dies. That's called cancer. 
And, uh, you know, that's what monopoly is to business. Monopoly is cancer in the body of, of the business ecostructure, ecosystem, as it were. And um, we are, according to, you know, most scientists, we're literally producing, you know, a few cancerous cells every single day. It's a normal thing. You know, but, you know cells mutate as they reproduce and our immune system recognizes them and destroys them and recycles them. Um, you know, it's just this is something that happens millions of times through our lives. And occasionally one slips by the immune system and then you've got, you know, cancer that grows. Um, similarly, we back in the 1890s, uh, capitalism being a relatively recent thing, it's only 300 years old. Back in the 1890s, we built um, an immune system into um, the the body of capitalism. And that immune system was a law that said that if any individual company starts sucking up all the resources, you know, and, and, and preventing other companies from, from uh, existing, essentially, or prospering, then uh, that company gets put out of business, or at least they get major fines and penalties until they come into compliance with these rules. And that was called the Sherman Antitrust Act, an anti-monopoly law. Uh, in the 1980s, the Reagan administration, in 1983, the Reagan administration decided to stop enforcing the, ant- the anti-monopoly laws. The Sherman Act, the Clayton Act that followed it, and the Antitrust Act of 1956 that followed the Clayton Act. And the result of that was that uh, we went from having a vibrant um, economic system in the United States where, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the old Route 66 show that was on TV in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, and, you know, Martin Milner and this other guy, George Maharis, were driving across America in a Corvette on Route 66. This is right. before, you know, the Eisenhower freeway system was completed. And every week they would be in a different town and they'd pull into, some, you know, Biloxi, Mississippi. And, and there's the Biloxi Bank and the Biloxi Hotel and the Biloxi Diner. And they're all locally in the Biloxi Dry Cleaners. And they're all locally owned businesses. Many of them have been in families for generations. And every town had its own unique character and its own unique economic ecosystem. Well, when Reagan stopped enforcing the Sherman Act in 83, it began the disintegration of that to now where you could jump out of an airplane with a parachute at 60,000 feet somewhere over the middle of America and land randomly anywhere in this country and have no friggin' idea where you are as you're looking at the businesses on the street because there's another Olive Garden and there's another McDonald's and there's another Marriott and there's another Hilton and there's another Bank of America and another Wells Fargo and, and none of those give you a clue as to where you are. Um, prior to Reagan, all of those were regional or local companies, but because he stopped enforcing the monopoly laws, what we have now uh, is that the average American family is paying about a $5,000 a year uh, monopoly tax, essentially. We're paying about $5,000 a year more for the goods and services that we buy because of this monopolization of industry after industry of in, after industry. It's actually technically an oligopoly, which is where you have more than one company, but they cooperate together as if they were a monopoly. So, for example, if United Airlines raises their prices by 10 bucks, 30 seconds later, Delta does, because they're all monitoring each other. They're cooperating in their anti-competitive behavior in the marketplace. Reagan legalized that. And as a result of that, there is not a single consequential industry in the United States that is now not controlled by fewer than five companies, period, full stop. Fast foods, restaurants, building material. I mean, you pick, pick it. 
you know, anything, re, uh, any retail sector. And, and so, for example, Internet service providers. In most European countries, uh, you can get one gig up and down Internet service, which is faster than most Americans have. Most Americans have one-tenth of that, if that. One gig up and down, plus, uh, you know, plus uh, uh, cable TV channels, plus cell phone service for less than $50 a month. Or if you just want the Internet service, it's between 15 and $30 a month. That's the case in France. That's the case in Germany. That's the case all across Scandinavia. That's the case in Spain. It's the case in Greece. Hell, that's the case in Panama. You know, little country of Panama. I was talking to a, to a host the other day, and he's like, "My family's from Panama, and we pay sixteen dollars a month for it. You know, you know, one hundred and fifty MIP up and down internet." And 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 he's like, "And I'm paying seventy five dollars a month for for thirty MIP internet." And it's true. And why is that? Well, Comcast controls half the internet market in the United States. It's it's monopoly. That's monopoly power. In the United States. Interestingly, well, a couple of things. One is I am old enough to remember the Route 66 TV show. And mm. and the um, the other thing is, um, talking about Reagan, um, Carl Reiner was on my show a few years ago, and he blamed Reagan for the proliferation of television advertising and said that he... Um, that that he uh, basically changed the the regulations and and uh, knocked down the regulations as a at the FCC um, for his friends at GE. Hmm. I didn't know that. I'm not surprised, <laughs> but I didn't know that. But but basically, he dere- deregulated uh, the way uh, advertising, how much advertising could be squeezed into uh, 30 minutes of of television. Um, and and uh, and Carl Reiner was real keen on that because he predated it. He remembered when a sponsor's name was mentioned at the top of the show, and then you did a show for thirty minutes. Right, right. <laughs> the GE Theater that Reagan was on. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's that's all changed now. Um, but isn't there something? And I was thinking about this before we started uh, talking today, Tom. That. Isn't there something almost in the American DNA about grow, 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 manifest destiny? And I, I know, for example, Flint has has lost a lot of its industry base, and it grapples with how to how to redefine itself as a smaller city. Cities know how to grow, but they don't know how to shrink. And I, I yeah. was trying to think of a of a business saying, you know, we've had three really good years in a row. Maybe we ought to back off for a year. And yeah. I just, I that's just, a, that's a that's a very insightful analysis. You know, it it reminds me of the old concept of jubilee that's in the Bible. You know, that uh, every seventh year you left you left the fields fallow, and uh, every. 49th year, every 50th year, actually, you know, seven cycles of seven, and then at the end of 50 years, um, everybody put everything that they owned into the same pot, and then it got evenly divided, all slaves were freed, all wealth was equalized, and everybody started over. And, uh, you know, there, there are systems that human beings have developed over the years to prevent cancer-like growth of human societies or, or, or entities within those societies like business. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got 40 and, years of Reaganomics uh, fighting that right now. And, and Americans um, don't like to be told what to do. And, and we're seeing that play out during this pandemic 
with, you know, people losing patience and getting out and associating. And, you know, we're seeing spikes in the uh, infections um, because people don't want to be told to wear a mask or to socially distance or to not go to a bar. I don't think Americans... You know, I, I I'm sorry, I, Tom. I I disagree. I oh, feel feel free, Tom. I you know I'd love to hear a different perspective on it. I mean, we we stop for for red lights. You know, uh, we wear our seatbelts. We we you know there may have been some objections to red lights back in 1915 when they got rolled out, or there and there were certainly were objections. I remember them in the 1970s when seatbelts were made the law. But, you know, by and large, you know, and we don't smoke in restaurants and things. I mean, there's, you know, once we understand that there's a reason for a rule, we go along with it. Uh, the, the, the whole mask thing that you're facing right now has nothing to do with people not being told what to do. It has to do with Donald Trump and the Republican Party and, and organizations like FreedomWorks that are funded by billionaires like Charles Koch, basically lying to people and telling them that this, this coronavirus is no big deal and that masks aren't going to help you, uh, you know, et cetera. I mean, we're facing, we're not facing human nature here, Tom. We're facing a bunch of sociopathic liars. Oh, no, 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 I didn't. And, and, I, I, and I didn't mean human nature. I said wired in the American DNA. Yeah, uh, I don't think that we're any different than, than any other country in that regard. You and, know, I mean, nobody likes capricious laws. I mean, I think we can stipulate that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just don't think we're that exceptional. We're just all people here. And, and I, I, I will defend myself ever so faintly um, against, the red, <laughs> against the red light argument with right turn on red. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, see, that's a reasonable thing. And, no, and those laws came along a little later. Um, you know, because originally the, the the law was you can't turn right on red. And then during the gas crisis, that was during Jimmy Carter's time, and it was to save gasoline. And the question was, you know, how do we save gas? Because the Arabs just cut us off. And one of the things was, you know, we waste a lot of gas sitting at red lights when, you know, we could be making right turns. So, you know, it, you know we, we tweak our regulations. But again, that's not what we're dealing with here. But again, with with businesses, um, there, and it seems to be more and more the case um, that businesses are not concerned about common welfare; they are simply concerned about the bottom line. Yes, and, and there, that's. And, I'm sorry, Tom. I, I was just going to add that there was a time when businesses. Um, had more concern for the common welfare. If a if a company was doing well, um, everybody did well. Yeah, and the reason for that was because we had laws that encouraged local business, we regulated business, and that discouraged monopolistic behavior and and you know behavior that was destructive to community. And you know those laws have by and large gone away. And, you know, and so now we've got companies that are behaving like sociopaths because basically the laws encourage sociopathy in the business sector. But we've we've tweaked other things and, and uh, um, you know, been able to. Well, just taking from your book, we've done it in the past. What's the holdup from doing it now? Is it simply a lack of leadership? Is it that these businesses 
have rigged the system through uh, campaign finance? Yeah, I mean, you know where where all this started in in a large way was um, you know in 1971, Lewis Powell wrote this famous memo to the Chamber of Commerce to his neighbor Eugene Sindor, saying that you know business. In 1971, businesses in America were not political. They had gotten their asses kicked, frankly, by Franklin Roosevelt back in the 30s. You know, they hate me and I welcome their hatred. And he took them on and beat them. And so by the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s, companies were not making political statements. They weren't supporting politicians. They were just running businesses. And that was considered patriotic. I mean, you know, uh, FDR had created that uh, war commission that he put Harry Truman in charge of that looked for people who were profiting from World War II. He said, I don't want to see any World War II. I don't want to see any war millionaires on my watch. So, you know, business was apolitical. And and Lewis Powell said, no, business needs to get political and business needs to fund think tanks and media organizations and and politicians and we need to get inside schools and colleges and we need to rewrite the textbooks and and we need to get inside churches and we need you know just pick your organization lewis paul wanted a complete takeover by business interests of basically all the dimensions of american life and then the next year nixon put him on the supreme court and so in 1976 when, when you know, uh, uh, some very rich guys were were prosecuted for for giving so much money to some politicians that it was considered bribery, uh, the Supreme Court ruled in a case called Buckley versus Vallejo that it wasn't bribery, it wasn't corruption, that it was free speech when a billionaire owns a corporate owns a politician. And then two years later, in, in a decision called First National Bank versus Bellotti, which was written by Lewis Powell. The Supreme Court ruled that that same logic applies to corporations as well as individuals. Corporations are people, too, my friend, and they can own politicians and as many politicians as they want, by the way. So basically, the corporations went on a bind spree. They bought the entire Republican Party and about half the Democratic Party. And that was the flood of money in 1979 out of that 78 decision in 79 and early 1980 that put Ronald Reagan into the White House. And ever since then, they've been calling the shots. And so now what you've got is the cancerous cells basically calling the tune for the whole entire body. And, and you point out not and healthy for the body. you give credit in your book to both Roosevelt's for reigning in business. Oh, yeah, it was Teddy who first started this. I mean, Teddy, the, the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed, you know, it came out of the 18, late 1880s, early 1890s, Senator Sherman in Ohio. And um, it was largely ignored. Um, by presidents up until 1901, and and you know, and and Teddy Roosevelt actually for the first three years uh, that he was president uh, ignored it by and large. But then in, 19, in in 1904, when he ran for election for re-election, essentially, I mean, he was elected. He wasn't elected the first time. It was you know McKinley was assassinated, mm-hmm. but uh, and he was VP. But um, when he actually ran for office in 1904, he was taking money from some of his fat cat friends. He was a very wealthy guy, and he had friends who were very wealthy guys, you know, in big businesses. And uh, his political opponents just took that and beat him over the head with it in 1905 and went after the entire Republican Party, in fact, around that. And that caused the, the Republicans to, to say, well, wait a minute, we need to actually start enforcing this. And so he started enforcing the Sherman Act, and he also got the 1907 Tillman Act passed, 
which said that any corporation that gives anything of value to any candidate for federal office is guilty of a crime. And there were huge penalties, and you could even pierce the corporate veil and put uh, individual officers of corporations in jail for, for breaking that law. That act, that law, by the way, got blown up, you know, with that 1978 decision, and uh, or it got weakened, shall we say. It got actually blown up formally in 2010 with Citizens United. Um, so, you know, he, 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 ha- he deserves a lot of credit, and, and it wasn't, you know, people think Teddy Roosevelt broke up Standard Oil. He started the process, but it was actually uh, William Howard Taft, the guy who followed him, another progressive Republican, who broke up Standard Oil. And and the thing is that we do have uh, antitrust laws. They've never been repealed. Why why aren't there some savvy uh, politicos that are basically out business busting? I think that may be coming down the road. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, Reagan changed how it, they, those laws have to be enforced by the federal government and by the executive branch, by the Justice Department, Securities and Exchange Commission, the Commerce Department. They're the ones that basically have oversight over the antitrust laws, depending on how they're being violated. And those three agencies are all headed by people who owe their political appointment to the president. So nobody was going to go against Reagan. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush continued that same thing after that. When Bill Clinton came in, he he and Al Fromm had just created the Democratic Leadership Council, the DLC. And um, the whole point of the DLC was the unions were being killed by Reagan. When Reagan came into office, a third of America was unionized. And by 1992, we were down to about 10 percent. And the unions just didn't have the money to finance the Democratic Party anymore. So Bill Clinton was like, well, let's find some. We don't want to take money from dirty industries, you know, the chemical companies, the, the, the weapons manufacturers, the, the, uh, uh, the big polluting industries, the oil refineries, the tobacco companies. The NRA. But there are clean industries <laughs> out there. Right. But there are clean industries out there that, that uh, we think are good businesses. And we'll take money from them, the insurance industry, the banking industry. Um, the telecom industry, you know, that was emerging at that point in time, the Internet industry, as it were. And so the Democratic Party got into bed with these corporations. And so it was to their advantage to continue taking this money and not break up these companies. And that logic, you know, and then we went back to George W. Bush, who, being a Republican, was just fine with monopolies. And then Barack Obama came along and he was basically still milking the, the you know, the money from the banksters. And, you know, so basically we haven't had an administration yet and and trump of course is not enforcing the antitrust laws at all so we haven't had an administration since 1980 that had or since 1979 since jimmy carter uh who by the way finished breaking up at&t um we have not had an administration since jimmy carter was president that actually had the in whose self-interest it would be if you know if they were to break up big monopolies in america and i think that, that it's going to continue to be the case given these Supreme Court decisions that have rewritten the political and business landscape of America, that's going to continue to be the case until the American people rise up in revolt and it becomes such an overwhelmingly popular thing to do to break up big companies and enforce the antitrust laws that uh, Democrats or Republicans alike basically have no choice but to do it. You know, it's on that list of things that we have to get to someday because they're only reasonable and rational, like, you know, Medicare for all or or cleaning up the racism in our police departments. 
More with author and radio host Tom Hartman straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. 
a magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program More with author and radio host Tom Hartman straight ahead. During the Obama era, there there was a new axiom created, and and sadly, Tom, it 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 looks to me like a lot of people fell for it. The idea that something's too big to fail. Um. At, and yeah, and at I the time, they were talking about banks. Right. I mean, that, that too-big-to-fail mentality arguably could go, you know, you could take that back to the 60s. Um, but, I, but yeah, okay, that's interesting. But I, it was I, just paraded as if that I'd was, if that, as if that were fact. You know, we, we, we can't let the banks go. We have to bail out banks with public dollars because they're too big to fail. It'll hurt us all if, if they don't continue on the way they are. And to some degree, the auto industry was guilty of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I don't know the, the timeline or the players or what the specifics were, so I can't. Yeah, I just, I just remember hearing that, hearing that phrase and thinking, how can something be too big to fail? Right. I, I mean, that just that makes no sense to me. But it it was it was like people just accepted it as fact. And I'm talking yeah. about John Q. Public, not just you know um, big shots who were proud of themselves for being clever. Yeah. Well, I think you know the John Q. Public doesn't understand economics well enough to be able to you know cogently engage in that debate, and you and we shouldn't expect. John Q to 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 have you know I mean there's a certain amount of kind of industry inside information or understanding how economies work that's required for that but that's fascinating Tom we just we have a few minutes left and I want to ask you how um this this series the hidden history of series now we did uh, uh the war on uh, voting we did uh uh, now we're talking about the hidden history of monopolies, but how many hidden histories have you done? Uh, this is the fourth, and I've got two more in the shoot. I just finished writing the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny in America, and uh, which brings us up to the Trump administration. And I'm st- I just started writing a new book, the hidden history of healthcare in America. That'll be interesting. I can't wait to see those. Um, Tom, as you know, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, your radio show and and your books. But do you have a website? Yeah, TomHartman.com. However you spell it, we'll get you there. <laughs> yeah, because you, you, uh, you leave the H in. Yeah, yeah, I do, and there's two ends at the end of Hartman, but I've got all the misspellings. We also have a website called HartmanReport.com, and that's where all the op-eds, all the articles that I've published are, are, you know, reside. So you can check that out, too. And and where can people hear your uh, your radio show? 
Uh, we're on Sirius XM nationwide. We're on Free Speech TV as television uh, nationwide. Um, we're, we broadcast live on YouTube and on Twitter uh, as well. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, we have an app uh, both for, for uh, iPhones and for Android devices. Um, so there's, there's a lot of ways to find it. It, it. Just plug it into a search engine. It'll pop up. Uh, right. You can also say to your smartphone, you know, tune in the Tom Hartman program and it'll come up too. Oh, that's great. I, I've seen the yeah. the, uh, the YouTube show. How do you like TV versus radio, Tom? Uh, you know, it's a medium that I didn't know that much about and wasn't that familiar with. Um, and then I, I started this TV show in uh, Washington, D.C. We called it The Big Picture. And it was on RT, and I did that until that network started, you know, aggressively endorsing Donald Trump. And at that point, I thought, okay, this is not good. And and plus, our daughter uh, adopted a child, and we wanted to get back to Portland anyway, so it was a good time to leave. But uh, that that's where I really learned television, which is doing it for, for six years, seven years, however long it was. And... Uh, you know, it's it's fascinating stuff. It's a fascinating medium staring into a little little black hole there <laughs> in front of you for, for three hours a day. Well, and it's probably good to get that experience because almost everything we do now is, is on television or some form of uh, video communication from doctor's office visits to uh, the, uh, the, the current uh, national conventions. Certainly seems that way. Well, Tom, it's been a real pleasure, as always. I always learn so much when I talk with you, Tom, and I hope we get a chance to do it again. Well, thank you, Tom. Anytime you'd like. Right. Thanks Thanks so much for inviting me on your program. All right. Take care. You too. That was uh, Tom Hartman. And um, let me let me just give you a little bit of uh, his background here before we, uh, before we go to break. He's a progressive nationally and internationally syndicated talk show host, as we were talking. Talkers Magazine named him America's most important uh, progressive host and has named his show one of the top ten talk radio shows in the country every year for over a decade. He's a four-time recipient of the Project Censored Award. He's also, uh, as I mentioned in his introduction, the New York Times bestselling author of 26 books, translated into multiple languages. We'll have uh, more of the Tom Sumner program.
send up to our previous guest there, uh, Route 66, who mentioned it uh, during the conversation with author and radio host Tom Hartman. Coming up in the uh, next hour, we're going to be talking about seven keys to navigating the crisis. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. It's 